Okay, Revelation chapter 11. Now, <clears throat> some of our some of our lesson th- this morning is uh, we're going to be at least reading a couple of verses we've read before when we kind of that one Sunday we we kind of went very fast, just kind of blew through the uh, judgments of the tribulation period. Remember that lesson? Well, getting down to the when you get right down to the actual physical return of our Lord, so much of that is really important background to have a, a little bit better handle on than just a body count. <laughs> you know, it it really is. So it's it's all part of that second coming also known as the day of the Lord. So we're going to pick it up this morning in Revelation 11, and you're going to find right there, it's one of those things I started off, I was in verses, you know, I was in chapter 19, here's the second coming in the Armageddon, and go, well, so I just find myself backing up, and then backing up to get a fuller understanding. I said, well, well, I need to back up. So I started at 19, wound up in chapter 8. So I figured, you know, I got some, you got to stop somewhere. <laughs> you know, I'll be, sooner I'll be bumping into the seven, the seven churches here in a minute. So, <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to start with 11. And then back, you can back up with me. Okay, so enough of this uh, verbiage. Let's get into it. Revelation 11, 15 through 19. And the seventh angel sounded, and there arose a rose loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying we give thanks to thee O Lord God the Almighty who are and who was and because you have taken the great power and has begun to reign and the nations were enraged and, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to give their reward to the bondservants, to the, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great Hailstorm. Wow. That's a pretty magnificent <laughs> group of verses there. The seventh angel sounded, verse 15. That's the uh, seventh trumpet. We kind of, like I say, we whip through those kind of fast. And there are handouts on that big table if anybody needs any. We're out. There were handouts on that table. Um, okay. Now, the seventh trumpet. Let's compare that back up to chapter 8 real quick. We want to compare that to verses, chapter 8, 13, and get a context going here. Revelation 8, 13. And I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet, and of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, that first woe, and we're going to go into them and just talk about a little bit, that first woe in Revelation 9, 1 through 12, is the 
attack of the demonic locust. There's no other way to describe them. That's how scripture describes it. I'm not even going to mess around and try to say, well, that could mean this and could mean that. All we know is what's given to us here. And I'm not one of those that's going to go around and say, well, you know what, maybe it's a, uh, a real fancy helicopter. No, it doesn't say that. All right. Obviously, this is a revelation given to John. Some of these are visions given to John. And John is explaining to us what he saw in first century language <laughs> with a first century uh, understanding. Okay. Um, so guess what? Aircraft weren't a part of that, <laughs> of any kind, not even little model planes, nothing, okay? The closest thing to aircraft is when they threw rocks and spears and arrows. That was it. <laughs> That's yeah. drones. drones. They didn't have those either. I've been watching stuff where they synchronize these drones the heat displays in the air. That's right. Let's read the chapter. We'll get more out of this chapter than we will by exercising our imaginations and, and that's you know, when it comes to <clears throat> there's a little thing called, somebody know that what I know some of you do ever heard the term hermeneutics and, and what that is right hermeneutics is a is a term given to the basically the scientific study of scripture there's certain things one must do and there's certain things one must not do okay and so where I'm going with this is the scriptures, you know, hermeneutics holds us fast to the text and into the text. Understand it literally. By that I mean we interpret it by what it is saying in its historical context. Okay, to make it uh, a 16-week lesson trimmed down into a sentence. That's what that is. And so when we get here, let's, let me just read this because it, 9-1 And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of that smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only men. Again, these aren't normal locusts. What do locusts go after? Vegetation, right? These aren't going after vegetation. These are going after humans, all right? So we, but only men and a specific portion of man, men as in mankind, who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. In other words, unbelievers. And verse 5, they, they were not permitted to kill anyone but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, this just to give you an idea how, how much that hurt, in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. Okay, that's a pretty painful situation. When you've got that much pain, I just want to die. And this judgment, coming from God, won't let them. Okay? Interesting. And the appearance of the locusts, right? Horses prepared for battle, and their heads were, were crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men, and they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth like the teeth of lions. I cannot think of one helicopter that looks like that. Okay. Verse 9. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings like the sound of chariots, and of many horses rushing to battle. 
and they have tails like scorpions and their stings and their tails and their power was to hurt men for five months. Now here's where I'm saying it's demonic. Number one, the bottomless pit, and they came out of the bottomless pit. They have a king over them, verse 11, the angel of the abyss. His name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek, his, <clears throat> he has the name Apollyon, which translates the destroyer. Okay. The first woe is past, and behold, two woes are still among. So this thing, I believe, are demonic creatures. Uh, we've talked about this. Go way back to some of our lessons. These, I believe, are the angelic beings that were locked into a pit during the time of Noah. They are released. They do what they're doing, what is described here, and then they will be put back. Now, the next one. Okay, uh, go to Revelation 9.13. That's the, the uh, second woe is the sixth trumpet, and that starts in uh, Revelation 9.13 to 21, and that is the, is the march of a two-million-man army resulting in the death of one-third of the world's population. That is a lot of death. One-third of the world's population. See, these judgments, when you get to the, the trumpets, and then the trumpets are going to roll, and that is going to lead us into the bowl judgments. We are at the very end. We're talking, I believe, we're talking days. We're not talking year. We're, not, we're, we're talking it's right around the corner. It is there. And we're going to see that by the language. Now, <clears throat> we move on to Revelation 10. Revelation 10.1, and my little dash disappeared there, 10.1 to 11.13. You can put a little dash between the 11, the 10.1 and then the 11 there. Is an interlude that forms a transition from the second to the third woe. And these interludes are to give us more information as to what's going on. Now, uh, Revelation 10, 1 to 11 is basically set, telling us that, and I'm, I'm not going to read all this unless you really want to. It's, it's kind of, but um, the message of that section is saying the end is now. I mean, it's right now. It's, it's here. It's here. It's like it's right at hand. It's at the door, so to speak. You know, all those various uh, phrases we've heard throughout Scripture. Verses 6 to 7 in, in chapter 10 say, and <clears throat> another angel lifted up his right hand to verse 5, heaven, and in verse 6, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who create heaven and the things in, the, in it. Gee, wonder who that is. So this angel swearing by God himself. So he's speaking in the name of God. He's not swearing by God or at God, but he's speaking and letting us know he is speaking for God. In other words, like all the angelic messages, these messages are straight from God. Just like when the angel appeared to Mary, the angel in the dream appeared to Joseph, these are messages straight from God. And swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the, and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there shall be delay no longer. That's what I mean. It is at hand. It's coming. It's here. But, verse 7, in the days of the voice of the seventh, seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. So you can go back 
into the Old Testament prophets and all of those prophets who spoke of the day of the Lord, that day of final judgment on the earth, this angel is announcing on behalf of God, that day has come. The day the prophets prophesied, it's here. It is right here. Okay? Now, we go from 11.1 through 14, we have a, and this is one, if you want, we can come back on. It's about the two witnesses that will prophesy for 1,260 days. Well, wait a minute, I thought you said it was right at hand. Well, yeah, they're filling in some gaps for us. They're setting the stage, if you will, for that very final day. They're letting us know that for 1,260 days, these two witnesses were walking around on the earth, speaking, speaking. Let me, let me just read it, and then I'll come back and talk about it. 11.1, there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. Someone said, rise and measure the temple of God and the, and the altar of those who worship in it, and leave, <clears throat> and leave out the court which is in the outside, the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations." And they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Remember these terms when we were back, way back now, when we were in Daniel? Remember time, times, and a half of times? Two and a half years? Remember that one? And two and a half years is 42 months. Guess what else is 42 months or two and a half years? 1260 days. <laughs> okay? So we're, all, we're, we're talking about the same. 1260 days as viewed by the Jewish calendar, 1260 days. Now, and uh, <clears throat> I, will, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. What does that tell us, the sackcloth? Again, go back to the Old Testament. When people put on sackcloth and sometimes ashes, what was that talking of? Remorse. I mean, when think of Job, right? Job sitting there with boils and blisters all over him in sackcloth and asking him just in just dire straits. It's it can be that. Also, sackcloth and ashes speaks of repentance. I believe this is why these men were wearing the sackcloth, because these were preachers of repentance. Repent, repent, repent. Why do I know that? Well, let's just keep looking. Verse 5, and if anyone desires to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone would desire to harm them in this manner, he must be killed. That tells me they were preachers of righteousness. Who else would the world want to kill? Who who do they want to kill in our day and age? (laughs) Preachers of righteousness. Right? And so these men are out there and uh, they are spokesmen for God. And just like, remember, we learned that earlier when when we talked about the Antichrist, his number one enemy was those preaching the gospel and the those in israel you know that were preaching the gospel he made war on them and with satan's help and 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 he gave them verse six he says he gave power to the shut up the sky in order that rain might not fall during the days of their prophesying and they shall have and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with every plague sounds like moses doesn't it that's why some people say that one of these two was Moses. That, that would be a whole other discussion. But, um, and where they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes out of the, out of the abyss, the beast that come out of the abyss, will make war with them and overcome them 
and kill them. They will finally get killed. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt. And this is the tragic part, where also their Lord was crucified. This is what Jerusalem will have become by the time this... But see then, the Antichrist is in control of that neighborhood, okay? And, verse 9, those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days. I find that interesting. They were preachers for three and a half days, and God allowed them to lay in the streets, their bodies, for three and a half days, and will not permit their bodies to be laid in a tomb. So they said, no, basically the attitude is that we killed, we're finally done with these people, we're going to let these two just lay there and rot. That was their attitude, or will be their attitude, I should say. And verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. You imagine that? It's like, you know, we say Merry Christmas, they say Happy Dead Witnesses Day or something, I don't know. But I mean, this is... It's a lot of hate. Much hate. Much hate. Killing them wasn't enough. Isn't that interesting sometimes? Killing, I could give you examples even in church history. Um, who was it? Wycliffe? That they, they dug up his body and burned his bones even? Wasn't it Wycliffe? Yeah, I mean, this hatred is nothing, you know, it, it's, it's in our... Our day as well. This is going on at the same time that all the miseries that the people are going through. Well, what's going on here is they're they're filling in some gaps for us, the reader. Okay, for us, the readers, they're filling in some gaps. They're telling us that these two witnesses, I believe by the time we get to this point right here, I believe they they now have been killed. And are gone. The witness. I think they're killed because we're talking days now that are left. We're talking maybe even hours. You can measure that. This is close. We're in a very tight time frame now. Okay. And um, I love this. It says after the three and a half, verse 11, 11, 11. And after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them and they stood on their feet. And great fear fell upon those who were beholding or looking at them. I would hope to shout. <laughs> Just remember what these, these guys were doing for two and a half years. Okay. And all of a sudden, they're standing up. And just, just think about it. The whole world is going to be looking at these guys. All right. Just like the whole world now can look at anything that we, via satellite and so forth, I don't know how far advanced the technology may be by that when that time comes, because I have no real idea when that time is coming. I just know it's still out there somewhere ahead of us. And I love this. And they, that refers to the people, heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. Oh, can you imagine that? Uh. Come up here. All the gawkers now heard that loud voice from heaven, come up here. It's like a two-man rapture right in front of them. <laughs> there they go. There they go. And they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And in that hour was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, 
and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Oh, they all got saved, right? No. No, this isn't that kind of gave glory. They actually, they understood and gave him credit for doing it. But as we move through the following verses in the, in the following chapters, we're going to see that these things kept happening, they kept happening, and men kept not repenting, not repenting, but hating God, hating God even more, even more than they did then. And then that, uh, <clears throat> and then that brings us to verse 14, where the second woe is passed, and behold, the third war, woe is coming quickly, and that's where we started our lesson this morning. Okay, that was just introduction and background for our lesson today. <laughs> but you see, you kind of need that information to just get a feel for what's going on here. And this is, I don't know, I just think back to an old 60s expression, man, this is heavy duty, you know. <laughs> this is big stuff. I mean, it's, you, you can't, you know, you study this, you just can't ignore it. The, 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 the impact of this and the, the how profound it is, you know. And I love verse 15 where <clears throat> he announces the kingdom of the world has become, and the, the italics, the kingdom is added in there for clarity, but, but the kingdom of the world has become that of our Lord. You could say it that way too. He's taken over. <laughs> that's, that's what's going on here. Now, the kingdom of the world, you notice the kingdom here is in the singular as opposed to the many kingdoms of the earth. That points to Satan. I mean, and I just threw a few examples. We, all, we don't have to look there, but Satan is called the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, Prince and Power of the Air, Ephesians 2, and our Lord called him, in at least three occasions, the ruler of this world, John 12, John 14, and John 16. Satan is defeated. Think all the way back to Genesis 3. Jesus is going <clears> to, <throat> during the process of it, that seed of the woman... He will crush the head of the serpent, and in the process, his heel will get crushed. But certain's, Satan's head will indeed get crushed, and, and uh, crushing day is upon us <laughs> as far as him being totally defeated. Now, <clears throat> that term has become, this is an interesting term. It is known as a proleptic arist in the How's that, huh? That was, that was such a fancy term. I just had to put it in the notes. <laughs> One more time. Proleptic errorist. Didn't it? it just... And, okay, okay now, that, now that you're thoroughly dazzled, I'll explain it. <laughs> a proleptic errorist is that that describes a future event that is so certain it is spoken of as if it has already taken place. And there's a lot of those in Scripture, especially in prophetic Scripture. There's a lot of those. When you think about it, you know, and if you don't get that, you'll say, well, he missed it. No, no. <laughs> Something that sure, that sure. It's, it's, uh, it's, because an arist is a point action, right? We know that from the Greek. We all, it's a point action. The proleptic thing says, hey, it's, it's, it's as good as done. <laughs> it's as good as done. And we can say the same thing about our salvation. It's as good as done. And our security in that salvation. It's as good as done because he did it and said so. Okay. Now, 
And it says, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Got to go back to our friend Daniel. I mean, again, I like going back to these passages because I know we've heard them, and and I I hope I'm not boring anybody from being a little bit repetitive, but one of the things that, that I really enjoy doing is just showing the continuity of Scripture, both Old and New Testament both Old and New Testament. And again, I pity those churches that have preachers that say, ah, the Old Testament's not worth our time. Oh, poor people. Daniel 7, 13. <laughs> I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, one, behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came to, up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. See that? It's just that the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. What we have here is a picture of the Father, the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man coming before him, and the Ancient of Days basically saying, just go. <laughs> Get the kingdom. Go do it. Get it done. And remember that term again. I, I know I've pointed out before, but especially like in, in Matthew and Mark, who especially Matthew, who majors on the kingdom, all the times Jesus calls himself and, or identifies himself as the Son of Man, Think Daniel 7. When he says son of man, and he often, more times than not, when he, when he uses that term of himself, the son of man, he's talking about when he's coming back. So make, make that connection. When you read it, son of man, ah, Daniel 7. You know, Daniel 7. And Revelation 11. I mean, it's, it's, it's that same, it, it's all, it's, it's him. It's him. <clears throat> How are we doing? Yeah, okay, Psalm 2. Psalm 2, another one. I was going to pull a couple of verses out of it. I said, you know, this thing is so short. You know, think about how the nations reacted here to the two witnesses. And <clears throat> why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth uh, take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. So, and we're going to see that when we get to Armageddon. That's exactly what the scene's going to be. But in a variety of ways, the nations and the kings of nations have been doing that all along. You know, kings being, you know, <clears throat> synonymous with any kind of uh, national leader, I guarantee you, our president stands against the Lord. I'll say that. I'm not being political, I'm being honest. Okay? Uh, when you promote, I mean, you want to read his platform? Read Romans 1, 18 to 32. And everything that God condemns, he's promoting. Now, if that's, if that's not standing against the Lord, somebody educate me when I'm done, okay? <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's the world in which we live. It was mentioned earlier about during prayer requests how the times are evil. Yes, they are evil. And they're getting more evil every day. And will continue to do so. And that's why, but look at the bright side. As things get darker, 
our light gets brighter. Okay? Just remember that, too. And, and that's really what we're called to do. We're not called to try and storm, you know, grab our pitchforks and storm the castle. We grab our Bibles and storm the castle. Okay? That's what's going to get it done. Yeah, vote right and all that. I do. I vote. Okay? And I figure most of the time the people I vote for don't get elected. I probably got the right guy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I digress. And Psalm 2. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to drop down a little bit. Verse 4. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And again, it's not a laugh. Ha ha, isn't that funny? Just, no, it's a scoffing laugh like, you know, right. You know, it's kind of that kind of, yeah, right. You're, you're, you're going to do that. You're coming after me. Mm-hmm. Verse 7. Oh, verse six. But as for me, I have, I have verse. But as for me, I have installed my. <clears throat> but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. It says it even right here, as if it's happened, in the in the Hebrew. <laughs> I have installed my king. It's going to happen, folks. No matter what these people do, it's going to happen. And verse seven, I will surely tell her the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten thee. That's not talking about his creation, that's talking about looking forward to the incarnation, actually. And and when he comes, you can just read on. When we get to the actual kingdom, where it says here, and he's going to rule with a rod of iron, and then uh, we just pass through the Christmas season, you know, Luke 1, 31, the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary says... And behold, you conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Okay? That's why we should celebrate Christmas. All right? And um, because we're celebrating our king. Now, verse back to 11 of Revelation. And this will go quickly. Revelation eleven sixteen through 18. This announcement causes believers to praise God and unbelievers to be enraged. Imagine that. Unbelievers to be enraged. I'm going to read it 16 through 18. We'll come back and make a few little points and move on. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks, the God, we give, we give the thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and was, and, <clears throat> and because you have taken your great power and, has begun, and, have, and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and, the, and, your wrath, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to give the reward to your bondservants, the prophets, and to the saints. And to those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to and to destroy those who destroy the earth. So, kind of the the saints are kind of stuck in the middle. The believers are stuck in the middle of the the two different parties there, which are the, one and the same unbelievers. Now, in the first eighteen a, I put the wrath of God is upon all those who will not repent, and final judgment awaits them. Matter of fact, Revelation talks about that final judgment. We won't turn there now. We don't have. But Revelation twenty verse eleven to fifteen commonly called the great white throne that's where the all the unbelievers of all time 
will rise from the dead and stand before their judge. Okay? Matter of fact, we're going to do a thing on the resurrection, so, because the next one, the rewards of those that believe, um, we need to talk about the resurrections because in, through Scripture, the rewards are linked to resurrection. Verse 22, also linked to the Lord coming. Verse, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Revelation 22, 12 says this, Behold, <clears throat> this is like the, one of the, as the, as the book of Revelation is wrapping up, there's a couple of final messages given. Okay, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. And that, that, that verse right there applies to saved and unsaved. The difference is the unsaved are going to get judged according to their deeds. The righteous, the saved, will be rewarded according to their deeds. Big difference, huge difference. And then, in the very last uh, phrase there, destruction is coming upon those who reject them. Um, <clears throat> and it's just, it's going to be a, a sad day where it says, uh, and to, and if he's coming, he's going to give the, uh, he's going to give rewards to the, to the saints, the small and the great. And then, to destroy those who destroy the earth. To destroy those who destroy the earth. And we're going to see that. How, how does that take place? What's going on about that? Well, Revelation 16.1 through 19.21 is going to show us how he's going to destroy those who destroy the earth. Okay? And that will be future lessons. Now, 11.19. We need to deal with that. Oh, we're doing fine. 11.19 now seems to be a response to actually the hymn of praise that we just read in, in, in 17 and 18. That's actually a hymn of praise. Praise God. For, you'll see a lot of that in even the Old Testament where, where God, they're called imprecatory psalms, where God is praised for being a judge. And people say, oh, those are, those, I've, heard, I've heard preach that, oh, those, those aren't for today. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah they are. Somebody, or we would be like those guys that say, well, would, this page is no good. We'll just... This one. Or I remember the guys, there used to be this one Bible that always intrigued me as a kid. I was even, as a heathen kid, it being a window, and it had some of the words blocked off. Like, I wonder what that deal is. It made me want to read it even more, you know. <clears throat> but anyway, it seems to be a response to the hymn, and I love this, and I'm just going to say this, that the heavenly scene here, to me, just depicts the power of, glory, and holiness of God. And you can compare that to uh, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah gets that, goes up there and actually gets that big vision of heaven. Remember that? And what struck him the most, he looked on that, and what he, he saw that, and he goes, my goodness, he came to the conclusion, I'm a man of sinful, I live in a nation of sinful people. You know? And you know what? Being confronted with the glory of God will bring that. It won't give you goosebumps and make you come back and write books? No. No, those, those folks that say they've been there, they know they haven't. Um, and then Revelation 12, 1 through 14, 5 is another interlude. And perhaps maybe we should, we can't read that all, but it's, it's we, we did, already did the Antichrist in, in chapter 13, 
And this just talks about the major, <clears throat> the major players or the main participants that are in here. And you get 12-1, is, is, in case you, you're not sure, Israel is 12-1 through 2. Okay, when you get to chapter 12, one through verse for two verses of Israel, then Satan, then of course Christ, and then there's another one where Satan is driven out of heaven to earth, and that Michael shows up in that one, and then of course the Antichrist and false prophet, chapter 13, and then the 144,000, and that might be a good place to pick her up next time, and if you have any questions on any more detail of 12, 13, let me know. Or else we're moving on. <laughs> okay, so let's close in a, in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, Lord, we, we come to you this morning with much, much thanksgiving. Apart from your grace, we could be described like those that reject you in your, in your word. And, and Lord, we're just so thankful for your grace. And we just pray, Lord, that we live up to that calling that you've given us and that we too, that we may indeed in these days of darkness, that we might be your lights. And again, Lord, thank you for calling us out of that. In Jesus' name, amen.